everyone, welcome back to episode 27 of Digging Through Dominoes. I'm your host, Terry Anderson, and this is the podcast where we look at the dominoes of our past, see how we can change them for a better life. I kind of, I was going through this book, The Emotionally Absent Mother, and I got a little, I got a little overwhelmed. As I said in previous episodes, I have been in therapy for over a decade. Thought I pretty much had some things covered up. Covered up. Yeah, that's what I had done previously, is cover things up. Now I'm opening up box, opening boxes. And I really thought I had opened most everything with my childhood, but you know what? I didn't. And I came across this book, The Emotionally Absent Mother by Jasmine Lee Corey. For you that are watching on YouTube, here it is. Excellent book, but one more time, there is a warning. It is very difficult. Today, I want to focus on what happens when our mothers are not there for us, whether by their own design, they're not capable of taking care of us, they have abandoned us, or they've chosen to go back to work and haven't real have been just too tired to take care of us. It leaves this giant hole. And when I was going through this book by Dr. Corey, I tell you, it hit hard. It hit some things that I have not discussed in therapy. I didn't even think of. And man, oh man, I had to put it down for a little bit and walk away and process and listen and listen and listen. So I'm going to read this first part of her chapter five for you or parts of it. And it's entitled, Mommy, Where Were You? Basically, what she's talking about is young kids don't have the ability to understand all the external factors of their world. All they know is this person is supposed to take care of me, and they're not. So they have to figure it out on their own. One of the sentences I think that really got me in this chapter on the first page was to feel you aren't important to your mother leaves a hole. Most often, it's felt as a hole in the heart. It's the hole where the mother is supposed to be. You know, that finally puts a name on what I have been feeling all of these years. And I had no idea. I had no idea. I knew. I knew I didn't have a great relationship with my mother. I knew that my relationship with my mother was surface level when it was good. But you know what? It was better than I had ever had from the time I was a child until I moved to the Pacific Northwest, 2,500 miles away from my mother. And we became very close, what I would consider close, and spoke several times a day, every day until her death. But it was never, never anything deep. It was all surface. Anything I found out from my, about my mother, I found out from other sources. And that hurts. That hurts that my mother didn't think that she could come to me. And I don't know if it was because of fear, if it was because she didn't want to burden me. She didn't want to make others look bad in my eyes. You know, there were many times my mother really emphasized to me, 
by her lack of words, her feelings about particular people. She never spoke badly. She just wouldn't speak. So then I always knew, you know, oh gosh, there's something up there. So you know, there, there are three different parts. Dr. Corey is talking about the different layers of being undermothered. And one of them shows in underdeveloped children. The last four kids that we adopted were the result of undernourished, undermothered children who's who showed severe signs of developmental disability, developmental stunting. We got them at the ages of six, two, which is is really scary, and 13 and 14. And those kids did show very severe signs of being undermothered. One of them was able to progress and come out of that, and the others just were not. And that's, that's unfortunate because this is a lifetime thing. This, oops, it affects us for the rest of our life, for our whole life. It doesn't just affect us, it affects our children, our relationships, our families, our marriages, friendships, lack of, all of that. Then there's another layer of being un- underloved by your mother, not loved by your mother, having an emotionally absent mother. And that is the holes that it leaves in your heart. There's something missing, but we as kids don't know what's missing. We just know it's missing. And for many of us, we set out in our lives to find that hole. The problem is we don't know what we're looking for, and we end up with a lot of the wrong things in that journey. We don't feel worthy. We don't have the encouragement. We don't have the praise. We don't have the acknowledgement or the support. And that's something for me personally, I subconsciously sought for the rest of my life in all of the wrong ways. Because remember, when when you're in a situation like this, with CPTSD, being under mother, coming from a neglected childhood, You already don't feel you're worthy because if you're not worthy of the love of your mother, you're not worthy. So when you set out to fill that unconscious hole, that void that just aches and you want to fill it, but you don't know what to fill it with, you've already been taught that you're not worth enough to fill it with something that is worthy of you. And so many bad relationships bad choices are made and we don't know it. We have no idea until we look back and say, oh my gosh, how did that happen? Why did I let that happen? Dr. Corey says that this is also, it also shows up as extreme loneliness. I have been lonely yet afraid of people my entire life. She said the third layer of this motherless or emotionally absent mother onion is the way we mother ourselves. How do we reparent ourselves? How do we love ourselves? How do we set boundaries? How do we allow other people to act towards us? Do we take crap from them or do we have healthy boundaries? We don't have healthy boundaries because heck, we don't know how to mother ourselves because it was never shown to us. It was never modeled for us. 
She says here, we don't, we see that we don't know how to support or encourage ourselves. We don't know how to be patient and tender. And we don't know how to take into account our needs and limitations. There is a hole in your inner mother. No, if you look back at my life, I took on everything. Things I didn't want to take on, things I did want to take on. I I felt like a Super Bowl. I bounced in any direction that, that I would go. I didn't have the limitations. I was searching desperately everywhere. And it reminds me of a story, the picture anyway, that I felt like growing up. And, I, and as an adult, and I still feel like today in many ways, is the image I have of my grandson and one of my daughters when we were at the Portland airport and the revolving door stopped. I was in the car. We were waiting for my niece and my grandson and my daughter, his aunt, were in the revolving doors when it stopped. And my grandson panicked. And I could see him jumping around like a pachinko ball. And I'm panicking because he's panicking. My daughter's relatively calm on the outside, but she's panicking. And people are, and this is what happens. People are walking by ignoring a child that's panicking. This sort of describes the way I felt my entire life because, you know, that little part of you is stunted, developmentally, you want, you're still a little kid. There's still a little kid living inside me. There's still a little kid living, living, in, living inside of you. You know, there's such a strong, strong need for the presence of mothers. And I have to say, two of my grandkids were in the NICU. They were both born two years apart, but about three months early apiece, and they were in the NICU for, th- for three months. The NICU has come a very long way from where it used to be, and mothers were not allowed to hold their children. They actively encouraged us to hold the babies. Sometimes they couldn't come out of their isolates, but they wanted us to touch them, to speak to them. Then you could do what's called kangaroo care, skin to skin. And they really actively work to make sure those babies get the love and the attention that they need, that they feel that bonding, that they smell the mom's scent, that they get to know it. It's not all, well, it is germ-free, but I mean, it's not as phobic as it used to be. A lot of kids from that era were damaged because of that hospital policy of don't touch the baby. So she says infants and young children absolutely require the physical presence of a caregiver. Without a caregiver, a caretaker, a baby can't survive. And the baby knows it. Studies have shown that a mother's satisfaction is key, is a key variable in determining how well her children do. You know, a mom who stays home because she's supposed to, like my mom did, she didn't want to stay home. She didn't want a baby. She was too young to have a baby. She was a kid herself when she got pregnant with me. Well, not a kid. I mean, when I look back, I see she was a kid. She was 20 years old. What happens when our moms are not emotionally present? Daniel Stern, MD, 
author of several books on mother-infant relationships, says that a baby is very, very in tuned with its mother, or very, very tuned in to the energetic, which I find an interesting phrase, presence or absence of the mother. The mother is the center of the baby's world, and the baby is intensely tuned into her world. So when a ba- it's so distressing when a baby cannot feel the presence, the love, the affection, the mirroring we do as humans to our infants. When babies don't get that, it pretty much freaks them out, and it starts this chain of re- a chain reaction in s- approval seeking shutting down, and sometimes shutting down for good. Researchers have identified two response patterns in infants when they did this study that was called, I believe it was a still face study. Researchers identified two response patterns in infants whose mothers are emotionally absent. One is to turn away from the mother, avoiding contact with her, in order to maintain a more pleasant state. Not surprisingly, children with mothers who show little emotional expression more often develop a self-sufficient attachment style. You know, mine is sort of split. I'm sort of self-sufficient in that I'm tenacious, but I'm afraid, or I was afraid for so many years. It's just too painful to attach to someone that does not want you. The other pattern Dr. Stern spoke of was to make extraordinary efforts to charm their mother, to pull her along and act as an antidepressant for her. So to be sort of the clown of the family. And I saw that, it's really funny, I saw that in one of my brothers. I saw the shutting down in one of my brothers as well as myself. And I think, you know, when I, when I look back on it, I think that explains a lot of the contempt I had from my mother when I was growing up and a lot of the contempt. It was mirrored. We were, we were mirroring, but what, what we were mirroring was contempt. I didn't like that she didn't want to take care of me and made me feel like a burden. She didn't like that she had to take care of me and I was a burden. And then we had the, the, the commingled effect of my grandmother lavishing all this care on me and not on my mother. So it was this just really kind of weird dynamic. But it's a dynamic that I don't think is very uncommon. I think it's very common. And that's unfortunate. So let me see if I can read this part about the still face experiment because this is pretty... Interesting. The distress in the face of mother's emotional blankness is evidenced by the still face experiment. Now, in this experiment, they wanted to see how babies responded while in their mother's lap, and the mother gave them no response, no change of emotion, and just stared at them. That sounds like agony. Oh my gosh, it sounds like agony as an adult. In the experiment, young mothers were instructed to suddenly adopt a totally blank face, showing no expression or movement while looking at their baby. The experiment only lasted three minutes. 
Three minutes. Three minutes is all it lasted. And you know what happened to the babies? In three minutes, the consistent pattern of infant behavior in the still face experiment is a repeated attempt to elicit mother's response. Finally, the babies would get sad, somber, and withdraw. And that's in three minutes of a baby's life. Three minutes. What if that's three years? What if it's 10 years? What if it's 20 years? These babies recovered when the mother engaged with them again. The babies were a little standoffish at first, and then they engaged right back with their mom. But that really shows, oh my gosh, how in tune these babies are with their mothers, who are the primary caregivers. In in the experiment, the babies that were previously securely attached to the mother, after the three minutes and their initial, you know, like, are you going to respond to me again? They warmed right back up to mom and they were fine. With the babies that were not securely attached, they didn't do so. They were even more standoffish and avoidant of their mothers. Sue Gerhardt is another researcher. And what she says is for a baby, the most painful experience of all is not being able to get your mother's attention. Yeah, I tried. I tried good ways. I tried bad ways. I tried no, uh, it just was, you know, if you can't get it by with good intentions or or good attention, let's try it with bad. Sue Gerhardt goes on to explain that while the most painful experience of all seems to be not being able to get mother's attention, it seems even more unbearable than mistreatment. So the neglect is more unbearable than abuse, is what I'm hearing here. Mother, after all, is a baby's link to the world and the best hope for getting needs met, assuming that mother is the primary caregiver. And as I said, I had several caregivers that I felt were my primary caregivers. Does my memory serve me correctly? I don't know. But I do remember being with these other caregivers quite a bit and very happy. With my mother, I was not. I was afraid. I was scared. I was alone. I was totally alone in the backyard, <laughs> locked out for the trash men to take away. You know, looking back on it, I wonder if my mother was had, what, had like postpartum depression or if she was depressed. I know that my mother was withdrawn most of her life and very, very private and guarded. But I also remember seeing her on the phone with people and talking for hours with no attention to what I was doing. What does that do to a kid? That says your friends that you can't even see are more important than your little girl who's getting to the... I I remember one time I took like my brother's... um, training potty, port, port, I don't know what you call them, like training, I guess, training potty. And it had the little container that you could take out. To me, it looked like a pan. My mother's on the phone. I put this thing on the top of the stove and turn it on. Before long, it's melted to the stove. I got my butt whipped. But you know what? My mother was on the phone. 
and she was not watching me. I can remember seeing her with her back to me toward like the living area, not paying a damn bit of attention to me. And so, you know, I got in trouble, but I didn't know that it was wrong. Jasmine Corey says, the emotionally absent mother is not present to provide many of the functions of the good mother, but perhaps the most important is that her heart is not available to the child. My mother's heart was not available to me. Till the day she died, my mother never said she loved me. To me. I mean, she may have said it to other people, but she never said it to me. That affects kids. And then, you know, you've got the other part of this, the overly needy mother, which I feel I was. I had no one else. My baby was my baby. At the time, it made sense to a 19-year-old. But I look back and think, oh my gosh, what a horrific situation to bring a child into. I'm having this baby to kind of have someone that's going to love me unconditionally. That's not the right situation to bring a baby into the world. And in my opinion, that just like sucks. What demands am I putting on this child? Looking back, I was overly protective of my kids. I was more of a friend at times than I was a mom. And that was so terribly wrong. And I sort of, you know, I, I can look back on my mothering experience and see how overprotective I was in so many ways. And I think what I was trying to do in a lot of ways was give my kids the boundaries and the love that I didn't have, that I didn't know I had. And it backfired. It backfired big time. So now that we've seen so many ways that our mothers neglect, abandonment, not being there, I guess, being emotionally absent, as the book suggests, since we've seen all the ways that it can affect us or some of the ways it can affect us, what are some of the situations that may cause our mothers to be emotionally absent? And I hope you can recognize some of these and maybe some healing can start. I have read through these. I'm going to read them from Jasmine Lee Corey's book and elaborate a little bit on the ones I feel kind of touched me and perhaps my mother. One, she was grieving for a prolonged period of time. I don't know. My mom didn't speak much. I know how I acted when I was grieving. And so it wouldn't surprise me that my mother was still sort of like grieving whatever, you know, the loss of her father, whatever, whatever there could be. Um, she had too many children to attend to. That was definitely me. And I really very strongly feel that my older children did not benefit in any way from the last four kids. I should say the last three kids. There was too much attention that had to go to those kids because there was so many problems. Remember, they were adopted at an older age. They suffered from having 
in most, well, in all of the cases, no mother figure at all that was consistent. They put them in danger. So I jumped in and tried to help these kids. You know what I did? I neglected my own kids. Hindsight, you know, that just is um, horrible. She was mentally unstable or depressed. I don't know if my mother was depressed. It would not surprise me in the least that she was depressed. My brother suffers from, I think his baseline is depression and he'll dip below that. I've suffered from depression. My other brother, I don't know. But yeah, depression is something that's definitely there and could be. You were separated because of war, national disaster, natural, national, could be national, natural disaster, something of that sort. Nope. You just started off on a bad foot and you didn't get the bonding in. I really think that was a lot of it. There were so many people in my mother's family. I was the first baby and I was passed and passed and passed and passed. I think my mother got overlooked. And my mother was someone that very much needed attention. And I think she got overlooked. I think she got her feelings hurt. And I think she withdrew more into the background. And doing that, she withdrew from me. Because, and I don't think she really ever meant to. But she did. And I felt it. She didn't know how to mother. And avoided contact out of guilt or inadequacy. I think that could very well be said. Although, you know, I don't know if my grandmother worked before her divorce or not. I don't know who took care of my mother when she was a little bitty girl. I have no idea. I just know that when my grandmother went to work, she, you know, I should look that up. I bet I could find the paperwork somewhere. But when she went back to work, my mother raised her sister. So, you know, my mother wasn't getting her needs met. And it was no fault of anyone's. It's just the way life happens. She was busy taking care of someone else, like an ill mother, an ill father, an ill spouse, too many adopted foster kids. So you see, that affected my children. My mother... No, not when I was a kid. She was, her job really was take care of me. But her focus was somewhere else. I really don't think she knew how to be a mother. And I think she was very, very resentful. She was overwhelmed with the practical tasks of house taking, housekeeping. Well, my mother did not keep house. And this is no diss. This is fact. Everybody knows it. So it's not like, oh my God, Sherry didn't take care of her house. My mother was not a housekeeper and she was not a cook. There were like three or four dishes she could cook. So, you know, it it wasn't like she was overwhelmed with doing laundry and cooking and cleaning the house. No, that wasn't my mom. What I remember, my mom is talking on the phone with her friends and laughing. And we were just sort of, or I was, I can't speak for my brothers, um, left to our own devices many times or locked outside because I was a pest, I guess. I don't know. I was told I was. She was addicted to drug or alcohol. Drugs or alcohol. My mother did not drink. I don't think she did drugs. I 
I didn't drink. I didn't, I had no addiction problems. My father certainly did, but this is about emotionally, uh, um, neglectful mothers. My mother didn't have that problem, but she did grow up with an alcoholic father and had an alcoholic for a husband. And I'm not sure how far into the marriage when my, when my dad really started to ramp up the drinking, I don't know where that point was, but no, my mother was not a drinker. She was a very light drinker, no drugs, working two or more jobs or working a very long job to make ends meet. No, my mother did not work. When I was little, she stayed home until my youngest brother was in kindergarten. My grandmother, on the other hand, did work when my mother was little. I don't know what time she went to work, at, at what age she went to work, and when if she was there. You know, those, these are things I don't know. But my mother was home with us until my youngest brother went into kindergarten. She was a career woman, and that took all of her energy. No, that was not my... My grandmother was a career woman when I knew her, but I don't know how she was with her kids. She was going to school. No, my mom didn't do that. I think she went to like a junior college is what they called it in Texas for a while, but she never went to college. So that was not a factor. You know, some of these I'm reading through and I'm thinking, dang, I wish that was a factor because then I could say, Terry, she did want you, but she wanted a better life for you. But I can't say that because none of this applies. Except for, she was young, she was a child, she resented me, she didn't want a, a kid, and she was neglectful. She was, so, so that hurts even more. I could look at some of these and say, wow, I wish that had been my case. Maybe it's your case. Let me know. What was the case with your mom? Let's continue with this list here. She was just a child herself, yeah. You know, my grandmother was she got married when she was 20. My mother was born when she was 21. My mother got married when she was 20. I was born when she was 21. I was even younger when my daughter was married. So yes, we were all children and all sort of learning on the fly how to be a parent. I had the advantage of watching my aunts and really I remember at a young age deciding that's how I want to take care of my kids. I watched them and I knew I didn't want to raise my kids the way my parents had raised me because there was no touching, no love, no affection, nothing. But I watched my aunt's families. And so that's what I kept in my mind. Did I go overboard? Yes, I did. I think we all really did because we didn't want what happened to us. She was worn out, exhausted or physically ill. I can't say any of those for my mother. My grandmother probably, and therefore was not there for my mother, which would lead into this whole cycle of craziness or abuse, not abuse, but neglectful, feeling neglected, feeling resentful. She didn't want to be there or she didn't want to have a child. She loved my dad greatly, but she did not want to have a child. That I know for an absolute fact. It stings, but I know... You know, I was there. What, what are you going to do? I showed up. I was loved by a lot of people, but not the ones that I needed it from the most. 
She never bonded with her mother and therefore didn't really have the coping skills to bond with a baby. I don't know. I can't answer that. I know my mother loved her mother. I don't know what their relationship was like. I was only 16 when my grandmother died, which is kind of a curse. It was old enough to have known my grandmother and have have all these wonderful memories, but I was still too young to recognize the dynamics in the relationships between mother and daughter in watching that. She was afraid to show her love or bond with anyone. That could very well be. You know, her first husband called my grandmother up and said, come pick her up. Uh, Her dad left. So, you know, maybe that was it. But I don't see how that would have affected me. But knowing my mother's personality of being very quiet, very reserved, very withdrawn, very well could have. I don't. No, I wish I had answers to some of these things. I hope you do. This one says she thought you had what you needed and you needed to learn to be self-sufficient and was told by others she would spoil you. Now, I know my father, I can remember my father saying that. As for the way my mother felt, I kind of feel it was the same thing, but I really feel it was more she was resentful and a little envious of the attention I was getting from everybody. She spent all her energy trying to protect herself from an abusive or raging partner. My dad was not abusive toward my mother that I I can I can only remember a couple of times that they argued. I was never in the room. I never saw an argument with my parents. I heard a couple of them and they scared me to death. So I never saw that with my parents. She was emotionally numb for medication. As far as I know, my mother was not medicated. She cut herself off emotionally to protect herself from the unresolved pain of her own childhood. That very well could be with my mom. It very well could be with me. I think I didn't really cut myself off. I think I went too far into that with my kids. You know, and how does a kid interpret mom's absence? When you're sitting there, this little two-year-old, even even a six-month-old, how are you thinking? You know, mom's on the phone all the time. I'm hungry. I need my diaper change. Um, I'm in bed and no one's getting me up and I've been awake for like four hours now. How, do, how does a kid interpret that? They're, from what Cor, Cor, uh, Jasmine Corey is, from what Jasmine Corey is saying, there are three basic messages that the under-mother child hears when these things happen. One of them being, they don't have it to give to us. I'm not important. You ask, you touch, you take too much. Yeah. I, and I don't really care about you. That's I, I have felt all of those. I can remember my mother saying, you need to stop that crying or I'm going to give you something to cry about. I could have stepped on something. I could have been hurt. But crying was not allowed in my house. Whispering was not allowed in my house. Loud noises were not allowed in my house because we never knew when my dad was sleeping. We never, it was just, there were all these rules, but we never really knew what they were until we broke one. Then she goes into a section here on why some children suffer more. I can definitely see differences between 
my siblings and myself. And I can see differences between my cousins and their families individually. Why? Age, the mother's age has something to do with it. The situation has something to do with it. Maybe you have a harder baby. I know my middle brother was very easy and my mother didn't have to put a lot of effort into him and except to keeping keeping him out of things. My mother didn't keep me out of things. I was sticking my finger into light sockets. I was sticking, maybe that's what's wrong. I was sticking things into electrical outlets. I was putting my brother's potty chair on the stovetop to try to cook. You know, it sounds gross now, but you know, kids, I didn't know it. I didn't know. I remember the pl- a plumber came over and I my mother wasn't watching me and I went and I thought, oh, my dad shaves. I'll get his razor and I'll shave and I cut the heck out of my face. My mother just did not really watch us. I can remember growing up in Texas, not wearing shoes on the farm, not wearing shoes anywhere. And you know what there are in Texas? There are poisonous snakes and spiders and there's things that we call stickers. I don't know what the heck they were, but they hurt and they're poisonous. But why is why do some kids suffer more? You know, I look at my family and I see distinct differences. My father used to bring me presents, but he didn't bring them for my brothers. My mother would always go into my brother's room and talk to him. And she would hug him and she would rub his shoulder. And then my other brother, she would take on trips. I never got any of that from my mother. There was only one time my mother hugged me that I can remember. And that was when her mother died. When my mother's mother died and she came to tell me she collapsed on me. And that's really the only time I remember my mother ever crying or ever touching me. I have no photographs of me with my mother. And Jasmine Lee goes, or Corey goes into something, um, a mutual standoff. And I think this is really the dynamic that I had with my growing in, in my home. My mother was not going to give to me. That was very plain and that was very clear. My, my grandmother, after we moved away from where she was, she got another job and she was off across the country. I couldn't count on her. My aunts both moved away. So I was alone with my mother. My mother didn't want me there. At that time, I was resentful towards her because she was resentful toward me. I'm trying to get her attention. She's not having it. And so there was this mutual standoff between us. That mutual standoff lasted until I was 28 years old. And I wrote her a letter over, there was a decision that was made in my life that my husband and I made. And my mother did not agree with it. And I wrote her a letter and I said, Mom, I love you dearly, but I am an adult. My husband and I have decided this is what we're going to do. You can either accept it and be a part of our family or you're going to need to step back. I didn't hear from her for six weeks. And by this time we were talking every day. I didn't hear from her for six weeks about And then out of the blue, she called me. Did she ever apologize? No. Did she ever agree with what we were doing? I don't know. But from that day forward, 
our relationship continued to bloom and blossom and and gain really what should have been there in the beginning. There was really at that time even never any, like I said, depth to our relationship. I always longed for it. So I really, um, that was really hard to have that, that standoff. And I, I was going to do this in a separate episode, but I've got a few minutes here. Let me pull this up on the computer. I had a friendship that many of you know about. It's, it's in, I forget which episode is. I'll link it in the bottom. About a friendship that I had with a very dangerous narcissist. And what I was seeking was found in this, in this woman. Let me see, Taylor Swift. The song is Mastermind. All right, I read the lyrics to this, and I had no idea my entire life I was looking to fill, fill the hole that my mother had left in my heart. You know, my dad did too, but we're talking about mothers here, and my mother just was not there for me. I got into this relationship with this woman, a friend of mine, and it got very manipulated, and it's a long story. But this song, if any of you have malignant narcissists around you, read the lyrics to this song, and the lack of love or the things that were left in that, the holes that I had, this woman filled. And when I heard this song yesterday and I looked up the lyrics, I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what happened. And it happened because I had those holes in my heart that I didn't know were left by my mother. And this is why this woman was able to fill them. And the lyrics are, once upon a time, the planets and the fates and all the stars aligned, you and I ended up in the same room at the same time. And it goes on about it lit a fuse in a chain reaction. What if I told you none of this was accidental? And the first night you saw me, nothing was going to stop me. I laid the groundwork and then just like clockwork, the dominoes cascaded in a line, which I think is really kind of ironic considering the name of this podcast. What if I told you I'm a mastermind and now you're mine? It was all by design because I'm a mastermind. That describes my relationship with the woman that healed the wounds that were left by my mother. My card just emptied on that, so we'll finish it on this. But I'm a mastermind. So these lyrics, let me turn this out, cards full. If you, uh, let me see, strategy sets the scene for the tale. I'm the wind in our free-flowing sails and the liquor in our cocktails that hit home because this woman, if um, a lot of it's in that other the video, but this really, Wow. I've got a lot to talk to about, about therapy, but look this up. I will put a link to it or with the, with the name of the song in the description 
box. Please look it up. This is what happens or can happen when you have a child and you don't give that child what they need. If you leave that child neglected, unmothered, if you're emotionally absent from them, you don't realize it at the time because you're so consumed with everything going on with you. How much of a void you're le- you are leaving in the heart of your child. And that sets us up for all sorts of situations, most of which are not good. I hope that explained a little bit. Like I said, this got this gets hard. It gets hard in here too. Uh, the further we go with some of these more questions, some more of these questions, I'm sorry. So we'll get back to that. I'll make sure I have a card that's not almost full the next time we record. Hope you're having a rocking week. Please look in this look in the show notes below. I will leave affiliate links for the books uh, that have helped me the most as well as a link to the lyrics for Taylor Swift's song, Mastermind. And actually her whole album, which I think is called Midnight, don't, don't quote me there, is, has, maybe it's just me. And, and, and because I've had so many inter- interactions with narcissists, I can see this and I almost feel as if my life is being played out. It's like, gosh, the lights are turned on. Somebody gets what the heck is going on here. I kind of want to be that light for you. I want you not to feel so alone. If you do, hit me up. Let me know. Do you want to be a guest on here? You can be anonymous or not. Send in your questions. What do you want to know? What do you want to hear? I would love to know. Thank you for listening. If you're on the video version, thank you for watching. And we will be back with the next episode next week. Thanks again, everyone. I sincerely appreciate it. Have a great week.